Hi, I'm Megan Ward, and I'm joined by Flick Fisher for today's Bite Size Legal Update. We'll be talking about Clearview AI's successful challenge against a £7.5 million fine issued by the UK Data Protection Regulator. Now, the headline is somewhat of a red herring for the other more interesting takeaways from the case. Today, we'll be unpacking the analysis behind the judgment. So, who is Clearview? Clearview is a well-funded New York-based startup. They offer a facial recognition search engine, predominantly used by law enforcement and government agencies to help investigate crimes. Their service is powered by a database of reportedly over 20 billion facial images, with a 75 million image per day growth rate. Now, those images are collected by Clearview crawling the web to scrape publicly available images of individuals, and their practices around that collection has got them into trouble with privacy regulators in a number of countries. We can split Clearview's processing into two activities, and these were referred to as processing activity one and two in the case. Processing activity one covers Clearview's collection of the images and the development and maintenance of its database. And processing activity two covers Clearview's processing from the receipt of the probe image, and that's the image submitted by the client to use for the search, to the matching of the probe image against the database and returning any results to the client. So before we delve into the UK court decision, Flick, perhaps you can give us a quick overview of how we got to where we are today, because it's the latest in a number of regulatory decisions against Clearview in Europe and beyond. Yeah, thanks, Megan. So yeah, this is not the first time that Clearview has been under the hammer from the regulators. Um, the European bloc has made uh, has been making it very difficult for Clearview to sell its services in Europe. We've had a number of regulatory enforcement actions that have been taken against them from regulators across Europe, including the the CNIL, the Italian regulators, and the Greek uh, regulators. And all all of those regulators have really challenged uh, the fact that um, Clearview's processing of personal data just doesn't comply with European data protection principles. Um, Many of them have found that they didn't have a valid legal basis to process that data, that they weren't properly responding to data subject rights, Um, and essentially they were breaching core privacy principles of the GDPR, i.e. that their processing just wasn't fair, lawful or transparent. And uh, last year, we actually had the French CNIL, who, uh, in cooperation with other regulatory authorities, issued a whopping great 20 million euro fine against Clearview. And more importantly, it came with a stop order. So they were ordered to stop processing data about individuals in France. Um, And they were also ordered to delete the data that they had already collected about French residents. And then roll forward to May this year, which is really the beginnings of the um, decision that we're talking about today. The ICO, the UK regulator, issued a formal enforcement action or formal notice, um, which included, as you mentioned, Megan, a headline fine of $10 million or £7.5 million. Um, And like the decision that the French had taken, they also ordered Uh, clear view to stop or delete the data that it was processing about UK uh, citizens. And again, very similar rationale here. We've got core breaches of GDPR principles or UK GDPR principles. Now, Clearview then has taken steps to obviously appeal that decision, which is why we have this ruling that came out last week. 
And it's a really interesting one because they have actually challenged uh, on jurisdictional grounds. So just taking a step back, Clearview had historically offered its services in Europe and in the UK. And back in the day when it first launched, it even offered its services to private companies. It has since rolled back its service offering, and that in part is due to actually the outcome of US litigation. Um, So out out here in the US, it's also been the subject of a lot of litigation, most recently under Illinois' biometric law, which ended in a settlement last year that included a national ban on the company selling or giving away its facial recognition database to private companies and individuals. And as such, in the US, it's limited its business to US government contracts. Um, And I think off the back of that and all the recent action and heat that it's faced in Europe, it's very much pivoted so that it is now only offering its services to US uh, law enforcement companies. So US government contracts, it isn't in fact offering any of its services in the UK or Europe. But in many ways, that didn't matter for the purposes of this appeal. Um, And I think one of the important things that came off the back of this decision, which has made the headlines, is that Clearview obviously prevailed. They prevailed in this decision. So yet again, they've managed to form a a big defence against a kind of regulator trying to take them down. But in this case, they actually won on a real technical point, which is that because they are only offering their services to law enforcement agencies, they are therefore outside the scope of the UK GDPR. And so that real technical point has allowed them effectively a get-out-of-jail-free card in this instance, because there is a clear exemption in the law for processing that's covered by a separate piece of legislation, which is essentially the law enforcement regulations in the UK. So, Megan, we know the headline's not that interesting in that it failed, but actually what's really interesting is some of the analysis that underpins that decision, which looks at how uh, GDPR principles are going to apply to a company like Clearview. So maybe you could give us a quick rundown of some of the core analysis that came off the back of this uh, judgment. Yeah, so the UK regulator had issued their enforcement on the basis that the Clearview service fell within Article 32B of the UK GDPR. And as a quick reminder... Under Article 32B, an organisation can be caught by the UK GDPR if they're not established in the UK, but their processing activities relate to monitoring the behaviour of individuals in the UK. And I emphasise the relate to because that becomes important. So the court agreed that Clearview's processing of personal data related to the monitoring of behaviour of UK data subjects. Clearview itself was not engaged in the monitoring because its processing was limited to scraping facial images and creating a database of biometric vectors from those images. However, Clearview's clients were. So the law enforcement agencies were seeking to identify facts about the individuals who appeared in those images, not only to find out who a person is, but to analyse their behaviour over a period of time in order to apprehend them or gather evidence about what they had done. And the court concluded that Clearview's processing related to the client's monitoring because such monitoring by the clients couldn't take place without Clearview's Activity 1 processing. So that was the building and maintenance of the Clearview database. And the purpose of Clearview's Activity 2 processing was to provide the image matching service to the clients. So the key point here was that the the tribunal confirmed that as a matter of law, Article 32B can apply where the monitoring is carried out by a third party rather than the controller. So just because 
your organization itself is not monitoring individuals, if you're offering a service that assists your customers to monitor, then you can be caught by the GDPR. And I think, Megan, that's helpful, a really helpful point, because we have had EDPB guidance on the jurisdictional scope of the GDPR, which spoke, I think, in a paragraph or two about the possibility for you to be caught if your processing activities are related or your monitoring activities are related to the activities of a controller or processor caught by the GDPR. But this is really kind of clarifying some of that that analysis um, and really confirming that it's going to bring a lot more companies within the scope if your services involve behavioural or supporting a controller or other third party to do behavioural monitoring there. Yeah, so it's a real broad interpretation. And in relation to that, there was also some interesting insights into what would amount to monitoring the behaviour of individuals. Flick, I'll let you shed some light on that. Yeah, so, um, you know, a couple of things. One, um, the term behaviour, when we think about behaviour, it means more than just identifying or describing someone. So just because we can describe them by their name or date of birth, height, hair or colour, that's not enough to constitute exploring the behaviour of individuals. Um, We need to be exploring something about what a person does. So whether it's by reference to their location, their relationship status, their occupation, or their use of social media habits being um, examples there of the the types of behaviour that might be caught there. We've also got an interesting interpretation of the term monitoring um, and the fact that it can include tracking a person at a fixed point in time. So what were they doing in a particular image that we have, as well as on a continuous or repeated basis? So how are we tracking um, them over over a period of time? So that, that was quite an interesting outcome there as well. I think the other really important um, analysis arising from the judgment is also the interpretation of when joint controllership can arise. So Megan, I don't know if you want to talk a bit about that one. Yeah, sure. So this decision adds to the increasingly expansive view from European guidance um, and regulators of when joint controllership applies. So if we go back to these two processing activities um, which Clearview were undertaking. So with respect to processing activity one, which was Clearview's building, development and maintenance of the database, the court confirmed that Clearview was an independent controller for that and that was not in dispute. However, for processing activity two, Clearview was a joint controller with the client for that processing. So as a quick reminder on joint controllership, organisations will be joint controllers where they decide the purpose and means of the processing together. And the court's conclusion was based on two reasons. Firstly, that Clearview determined the purpose of the processing as it only provides the service to clients who wish to use it for purposes agreed within the terms and conditions. And here those permitted purposes were limited to matters of law enforcement or national security. And secondly, both Clearview and the client determined the means of processing. So this was because the client submits the search image, then Clearview conducts the matching process and provides the client with the search results and any additional information, which included associated metadata on the images, if that was available, and a degree of similarity to the probe image. And this is really interesting, right, because this, if we extend this out to say that this could really catch any business intelligence service that involves data matching. So a scenario where a customer provides certain data that they want analysing against your own database to get insights back. Um, we can think of, a, you know, 
a number of different business models that might catch. And in fact, historically, we've had EDPB guidance that has confirmed that a recruitment scenario, so if you are engaging a recruiter to go and source you candidates from a criteria that you set, so they're going to go to their database, the recruiter is going to go and, and look and scan um, their database of potential applicants against your criteria, that, that could involve joint controllership. And so we see a, a kind of similarly broad interpretation here of joint controllership. So you, you can imagine a scenario in which you're doing business verification searches where you might get some information supplied to be matched against uh, a business verification database for insights back, that being a scenario. Um, you know, pretty, pretty expansive here. And if it really turned on the fact that clear you had imposed effectively use restrictions on or, or service use restrictions that's pretty consistent with many data licensing arrangements for business or data intelligence services where you get the data provider saying our expectation is that you would only be using the data we provide you in this particular context um, so very interesting to see what happens off the back of this where we where, whether we start to see again more and more expansive scenarios where joint controllership is, is said to hit. And what do we think Clearview will do next? Well, it looks like Clearview are just going ahead and trying to keep their business model alive. We know that they've stopped offering their services in the EU and the UK. I, don't, I suspect, uh, given the fact they've been bitten there, that they won't be trying to start up again in that region and they will just continue to, to try and make it work in the US. But it doesn't mean that they're going to be completely outside the scope of, of the EU regulators, because at the moment they are a US company hoovering up data on citizens in the EU and the UK. They might be offering their services there, but they're certainly hoovering up data through the images that they collect about people across the world. So we can expect that that would include European and UK citizens and, and selling what is regarded as a very privacy hostile facial matching technology to US law enforcement. Um, or other foreign authorities and state agencies. So, you know, we wait to see whether they continue to be the subject of regulatory enforcement action, or even whether they in turn try and fight back against some of the enforcement action they've been the subject of based on this new technical argument that they might be able to make that they are outside the scope of the GDPR. Um, Interestingly, I think it's fair to say that although we've seen decisions against them, we've seen big fines issued against them, uh, the DPAs, the data protection authorities, have struggled to enforce against Clearview. In May this year, the French Canal confirmed that Clearview has just not paid its fine, and they've even issued further fines for non-payment. And so, you know, it seems that they're kind of taking a bullish approach here and uh, prepared to kind of stand their ground. So we'll wait to see. We'll also wait to see whether the ICO try and appeal this decision. They've got 28 days to decide whether they're going to do that. But in, in the meantime, it remains a very, very interesting case to kind of extrapolate analysis from around, you know, the jurisdictional scope of the GDPR and, and the potential application of joint controllership to a number of different uh, business intelligence service models. Yeah. So along those lines, what do we think are the key takeaways from the case? Well, I think it's a useful reminder of, about the fact that amassing publicly available data doesn't, um, you know, the fact that it's publicly available doesn't take it outside the scope of the GDPR. We still have to bear in mind and process that data in compliance with those core GDPR principles where we are a data controller, which, as this case has confirmed, you will be when you amass a database of images for use in your service or, or data in your service. 
And we also need to be mindful of the fact that if that data is sensitive in any way, in this case it was sensitive biometric data, but if we were touching on any sensitive data categories, then that comes with elevated compliance obligations and additional risk of enforcement action. It's clearly seen as a more privacy-intrusive business model to go around amassing huge databases of, of sensitive personal data, and we can understand why that's the case. And then, of course, importantly, we've also got now a better understanding of how the Article 3.2 ground and how we interpret behavioural monitoring, and specifically how we understand the concept of that relating to your processing, relating to behavioural monitoring. We now quite clearly have a a good sort of analysis of how that means that even if you as a company are not doing that behavioural monitoring but your services involve helping organisations do that behavioural monitoring of UK or European data subjects then that could bring you within the scope of the GDPR. We also know that Again, you can be deemed a joint controller fairly easily by the regulators. They seem to be continually expanding this concept. Uh, So one to keep an eye on uh, and and to, to consider how, if you are in a similar business model, how that might impact your uh, compliance exposure under the GDPR. Thanks, Flick. So definitely some interesting insights beyond the beyond the headline. That's all from us today. Thanks for tuning in. And if you've enjoyed listening, you can like and subscribe to the Phil Fisher podcast on your usual podcast channel. And we'll be back soon with some more legal updates. Thanks. Thank you.